0: Special thanks to C.H.R. Hansen, a leader in fermentation and innovative brewing solutions. C.H.R. Hansen's range of high-quality yeasts includes Smart Bev Nir, which crafts flavorful beer entirely without the alcohol. These yeasts even enable fast, climate-friendly, and cost-efficient production. We thank C.H.R. Hansen for their support and commitment to excellence in brewing. This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. A volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Let's go! 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 go, go. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. Calm
1: down, I'm moving too fast.
0: This episode was made possible by the following sponsors.
2: Discover more ways to enhance flavor and maximize beer yields with Salvo. Now available in varieties like Sultana, Trident, Lotus, Calypso, Cascade, and many more. Discover how
0: Salvo can help boost your brew at hopsteiner.com. Berkeley Yeast, creators of diacetyl-free yeast strains. Diacetyl-free strains are bioengineered to produce the ALDC enzyme inside the yeast cell to keep diacetyl low during fermentation and after packaging. Diacetyl-free strains create the cleanest flavor profile possible, which makes them the yeast of choice for the most exacting brewer. Go to berkeleyeast.com to read about how brewers are using diacetyl-free strains to propel their beers to the top of the podium. Grist Analytics captures and trends data across the brewery so you can see issues as they are happening, not several batches later. Get real-time feedback on the brew deck, analyze correlations from the lab, and see scheduling predictions from anywhere. Connect Grist with your ERP platform to cover your brewery from production to finance. What you're about to hear originally aired in May of 2020. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode that you won't want to miss.
3: You never know how well your rinse was working until you actually test it.
2: This water is
4: going to end up as a
2: part of your finished product.
4: It's common to, to every once in a while, find some type of component off of the uh, the filler itself. So screws,
5: maybe a little piece of wood from a a pallet or a cover sheet. Yeah, we've seen plenty of
3: bugs in ours. Um, lots of different glass shards will come in once in a while.
5: Pieces of uh, shrink wrap. It's fairly typical.
0: Does your brewery can or bottle? Do you pay close attention to your rinser or just assume it does what it's supposed to? This week on the show, we take a deep dive into water rinsers with a team of master brewers who collaborated to publish a best practices document you can use to get bottle and can rinsing done right.
4: Hi, I'm Eric Snap. I work for Ball Corporation currently, uh, a manager of quality systems overseeing uh, beer can production across uh, North America.
2: Hi, this is uh, Ben Bailey. I'm the quality manager at Trogue's Brewing Company in Hershey, Pennsylvania.
3: Hello, this is Tim Lozen, and I'm the packaging quality manager over here at Bell's Brewery in Kalamazoo, Michigan.
1: Yeah, hi, I'm Dave Duff. Uh, I am with Barry Waymiller Integrated Systems.
5: Hi, my name is Heather Muzzy-Karen, and I am a QAQC specialist for Allagash Brewing Company in Portland, Maine.
0: Everybody pumped to talk about bottle rinsing? always that's the attitude i like to hear tim that's why we keep inviting you back on the show oh and i appreciate it i bet most brewers have probably seen these but just in case why don't you give us a little bit of a description about the two different types of water rinsers used in breweries for bottles and cans
4: so the single file uh rinser actually pushes containers through uh, a rinser section where the containers are inverted And then that's where they are rinsed, and they're allowed um, a little bit of drain time, and then they're re-uprighted prior to going into the filler. Uh, A rotary-based rinser operates in a a similar principle in that bottles are fed into a um, turret where the containers are inverted, and then um, spray nozzles engage to rinse out the containers for a certain amount of time. And then they're eventually uprighted, placed back on in uh, feeding the
0: filler. Let's hear about the objectives of container rinsing. Why do we need to rinse those bottles and cans?
5: Sure. So, you know, one of the key objectives for all breweries that's filling containers is to ensure that, you know, the contents are free of any foreign object or debris or substances that can um, either impact the quality of the beer or else, you know, provide or be a safety hazard for the consumer Um, some of these foreign substances could be things like lubricants or a chemical residue or airborne dust but there can also be kind of physical substances um, or objects i should say instead which include glass particles plastic cardboard wood insects metal parts or shavings, et cetera. Um, So the purpose of rinsing the bottle or the can with water is to try to remove any of these foreign substances or foreign objects before the bottle is filled with beer.
0: What's the weirdest thing any of you guys have found in a bottle so far?
5: Oh, boy. Um, We don't often find much, I guess, lucky for us. But I would guess maybe something like an insect is the weirdest. But we also see pieces of uh, shrink wrap is fairly typical. Uh, maybe a little piece of wood from a, a pallet or a cover sheet as well.
0: Anybody else got a weird one?
3: Yeah, we've seen plenty of bugs in ours. Um, lots of different glass shards will come in once in a while. We're lucky here that we have a EBI machine switch up. Uh, empty bottle inspector so it takes pictures of every bottle that goes through and i like to look through those periodically just to see what's getting through the system or getting rejected i should say and uh there's definitely some interesting things in there from time
4: to time it's common to to every once in a while find some type of component off of the uh, the filler itself so screws um those are foreign objects that can uh, can be found out in trade
0: Okay. Anybody want to comment? I don't know where everyone is in their HACCP journey, but this is probably a good time to mention, you know, why we're doing this in the first place, right? So how does this fit into sort of your uh, responsibilities as a, as a brewer and, and putting product out there?
4: Well, if we take the basics of HACCP, really the, the hazards that we're trying to deal with are physical hazards. Um, In a HACCP plan, you're looking at chemical, biological, and physical hazards. Uh, Rinsers specifically control the risk of physical hazards getting into or out the door and in front of the consumer. And so um, that was really the impetus of this document was trying to develop around good practices for HACCP plans, uh, what you need to have in place for uh, ensuring that your HACCP plan covers um, the right critical control points. Uh, for rinsers to operate properly.
0: The first section covers best practices for rinse water specifications or treatment. Let's hit some of those highlights.
2: First and foremost, one thing to remember when you're looking at water rinsing is that this water is going to end up as a part of your finished product. It does not drain completely. You you obviously want to reduce the amount left in the container to a minimum. So. Somewhere in the range of one milliliter, but there's still one milliliter of liquid that's going to be in your beer, in your finished beer. So you want to make sure that that is of potable quality and that it's in no way going to taint uh, your beer either. So using high range of sanitizer in the water or something like that would possibly give you an off flavor in your uh, finished package.
0: How common has it been to see sanitizer introduced to to rinse water here? I I know some people take the approach of just using regular chlorinated city water, but other folks are adding sanitizers. Talk talk a little bit about your experience with that.
2: Um, I can't really say much to how common it is, but I know people do it. Actually, we still do it at Trogues as well. We use a low rate uh, parasitic, but we do not want... We're not trying to sanitize the container with the sanitizer. We're trying to make sure that the water is sanitized. What I really want people to understand, I guess, is that uh, the contact time on container rinsing is not long enough for you to sanitize it. So you need, so for like a regular no rinse concentration of parasitic, like one or two minutes at least to do any sort of real sanitizing. So unless you're running your bottle line so that one bottle per minute comes into the filler then it's impossible for you to be able to actually sanitize the bottle so anybody that's doing it for that reason should understand that that's not really happening anyway you don't have the contact time necessary makes sense another thing you have to worry about is some people uh purchase packaging lines that can reuse the water uh, which is a great idea in general as far as like there's a lot of water that goes into a water rinser and you can have it recollected and pumped right back into the rinser um, that it does have inherent uh, risk as well you need to be able to uh, filter that through something at least a 0.45 micron absolute filter which then you need to routinely validate and verify that it's functioning and that it's removing all it all of the microbiological contaminants from the water because once you've rinsed and gone down to the drain pan, you may end up picking up other stuff that uh, wasn't in the water to begin with.
0: Since you mentioned that you're using kind of a, you know, dilute parasitic acid in your process, what's your process like to sort of um, verify that concentration of the sanitizer?
2: Uh, that's part of our startup procedure that has to be verified uh, when the Every time we start with the packaging line or any of the packaging lines, uh, the lab has to come out, verify that the rinser is functioning. We titrate the the sanitizer to ensure that it's at the right concentration because we don't want it, first of all, to ever exceed the FDA no rinse concentration. Also, we want it at our set rate, which... Can change if the pump gets whacked or something else strange happens um, we have seen it move before even though it's the pump set we just adjust it and make sure that everything's correct
0: you know we just talked about how the bottle is never fully empty um, is there anybody using deaerated water in this process
2: we don't
3: yeah we don't either I was going to say I actually learned from Eric on this uh, I believe that You had a calculator, didn't you, that showed the amount of oxygen that would come in as a result of residual water. I remember that number was extremely low as far as DO pickup.
4: Yeah, if I remember correctly, it was in the neighborhood of 10 to maybe 15 um, ppb of DO pickup. um, If you had uh, close to maybe a mil or a mil and a half of water inside the container.
0: Okay, that's not so bad.
5: Just wanted to kind of share some experience that we had um, at Allagash using a combination of filters as well as a UV light system to treat our water. We don't add any type of sanitizer to our water. We were just relying on um, a coarse filter followed by a slightly smaller filter followed by a UV light system. And we actually found through our kind of weekly testing, which was helping to kind of you know, give us evidence how quickly we needed to change those filters and kind of CIP the the whole pipework system. And we found that the filters were really susceptible to harboring microorganisms. And sometimes when we tested water pre-filter and water post-filter, we actually found more stuff living in the post-filter samples. So just kind of some food for thought that, You know, although we expect the filters to remove that kind of stuff, they can also sometimes do more harm than good, and that's why it's really important to do that weekly micro-testing on your water supply post-treatment to make sure that it's actually having the impact that you want it to.
0: What does anybody do to make sure that that residual rinse water isn't too great of a volume? We do it
3: by weight over here at Bells. So we'll mark a bottle, weigh it, Send it through, collect it before it goes into the filler, and then reweigh it. Just do the math on that.
2: First of all, you need to make sure it's running at full speed. But uh, the other thing is that those bottles need to be dried on the outside. So if you have a single file rinser, like the outside of the bottle gets wet or can, uh, that stuff needs to be dried off, or else you'll count the weight of that water along with what's actually stuck to the inside.
0: Good point.
1: Just one thing, John, maybe on 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 the, the the amount of water left over in a container. You know, that's probably enough for a whole subject in itself. It's a lot to do obviously with the design of the rinser and, and more important, you know, I guess more specifically the, the draining section of the rinser. So on a straight through rinser, um, say on a can rinser, um, we're, we're spraying water into the can when it's inverted, and then we've got a turn it around so that when we discharge from the rinser its upside rate on its conveyor just even the, the way we turn that can around through the twist will, will will have an effect on how much water all those little those last little droplets actually get out of the you know get out of get removed from the container versus to get trapped on the lip of the can, say. Uh, same on a rotary rinser it, you know it's probably on a rotary rinser more a matter of time how much time that, that container actually has for those last little drips to fall out. So it a, has a lot to do with design in terms of, um, you know, how how well, if you want to do, you know, I guess, in terms of performance, your, your rinse will function in terms of having the least amount of residual water left in the container.
0: All right. Well, let's, um, let's keep talking about design because uh, there's some other stuff that's important there. Tim, you want to take that?
3: Yeah, absolutely um so here at bells we have we have cans and bottles and so we have the twist rinser that we use on our cans that we actually made ourselves and then we have uh two rotaries we have a smaller pilot plant and a larger bodily line those are both rotary uh rotary rinsers but in the in the paper here we call out uh nozzle type and design so material specifically so um that we consider to be relatively important. So we want something that is going to work well, be durable, and absolutely needs to be cleanable as well. So we recommend something like stainless or PTFE plastic. Um, on your. Those are usually going to be for the jet style on the rotary rinser. On something on a can line or a twist rinser, something like nickel-plated brass or stainless would work very well. Um, on design, essentially, there's going to be a lot of different nozzle designs out there uh, that are going to vary within and between manufacturers so you know it's hard to cover all the possibilities there but essentially what we're looking for is we just need the water to hit the bottom of the container as it's inverted and then cascade down the walls and then also be able to drain so you don't want something that's forcing too much water in there and then holding the water inside the container. So that's why some, a narrow jet-style nozzle seems to work pretty well on bottles. So you could direct a stream of water up to the top, cascades down through the walls, flushing everything out, and that could also drain as the water is going in. And then uh, we have that hang time, essentially. So when the bottle is inverted to allow extra water to drain out as well after it gets rinsed. Um, We talk about supply water pressure and flow meters. Uh, This section I really liked because we call out specifically keeping track of both pressure and flow. I think there's a lot of razor designs out there that might do one or the other. And that can get you into some trouble because you could have, like, uh, if you're just measuring pressure, for example, you could have a high pressure, low flow example. So you could have a deadheaded pump, let's say. So your pressure looks great, but your nozzles aren't actually working and your pump is essentially deadheaded, Or you could have the opposite situation where you have really high flow if you're just measuring flow and low pressure. And then maybe your nozzles are broken, so these jet nozzles that we're talking about might be broken off and they're allowing a lot more water to go by. So you have a a reduced pressure, but you have a lot of flow going on. So I think it's a good idea that we keep track of both those things. Um, Also, if you have too much water, you could cause drainage problems again. Or you're, you might be uh, leaving behind a lot more water inside the containers that make it into the filler. So we also talk about implementing supply shutoff valves, and uh, we think it's a great idea if, if you could also vary the amount of flow with these valves, so something like a simple ball valve would work pretty well in this situation. Uh, put that upstream of your pressure and flow sensors, and then you could use that for a couple reasons. So A, you can adjust your flow if need be. But then you could also sh- shut off the water in case of an emergency or if something's going on. And then you could also use it to test out your system. So what happens if your water gets shut off to the system or what happens if you close that valve down and just let a trickle of water through, you could test to see if your winter shuts off automatically or uh, if it just keeps going or if it throws some sort of alarm. So it's just a good thing to have also we recommend that we don't have any other connections or any other valves downstream of your flow meters or pressure gauges so that way they're measuring the actual amount of water and the pressure of the water that's making it to the rinser and into the containers themselves so it doesn't give you a false reading as far as design goes we also talk about shielding so pretty important as you know we I think it's a good idea to have shielding leading into the rinser because a lot of people think, you know, I'm going to rinse it out. So if something falls in, it's no big deal. But there's no reason to make extra work for your rinsers. I would think so. Uh, I think it's a great idea to have shielding going into the rinser. But then we also call out shielding after the rinser into the filler. So your rinser just did all this work making sure your containers are clean. I don't think there's any reason to mess that up right before we go into filling. I think that's something that is overlooked in a lot of the different types of rinsers I've
0: seen. Yeah. Cause sometimes that's a pretty long distance, right? Yeah, it
3: certainly can be. Um, on our can line, it's a pretty decent distance, just the way that the layout worked out on the bottle filler. It's all part of one machine essentially, but there's still a little bit of distance there. Anything can happen, especially if you have burst bottles occurring, uh, on your filler. You know, you need to protect against that. That could be a, a big consumer hazard, obviously.
4: Coming up. A simple test for operators to do at startup is to just validate
0: that with their own, with their own eyes. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors – The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support.
4: Brewers, if you want your cans to stand out on the shelf, CanCraft is ready to be your digital printing partner. Fast, flexible, and fully custom, CanCraft digital printing promises eye-catching appeal, seam-free aluminum surfaces, and low minimum orders to fit your business needs. Whatever your budget and whatever your goals, contact CanCraft for crisp images, clear copy, and 100% recyclable materials. Learn more at CanCraftSolutions.com. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand-new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.ProximityMalt.com
5: positively impact your process, product, and profitability with actionable insights from BrewIQ, the industry-leading real-time fermentation monitoring solution. Visit www.precisionfermentation.com backslash mbaa to start saving time and money today.
0: BSI, your brewing partner since 1996, is your destination for top-quality liquid yeast cultures, lab services, and brewing products. BSI customizes your yeast orders for the perfect healthy pitch rate from a collection of over 300 strains. Most strains ship within seven days, but now try BSI's Express Yeast with industry-favorite strains shipped the next business day. As of 2023, BSI is proud to be a 100% employee-owned business. Professional brewers can call for a free same-day consultation or visit BrewingScience.com to access over 50 years of brewing expertise.
4: Are you sure you're getting the best deal? Visit the Lupulin Exchange where you can find every hop variety, every brand, and every vendor. Compare prices, reviews, shipping speeds, reliability, and more Over a million pounds shipping direct from every hop merchant and grower in the U.S. The Leapion Exchange. One stop. All the hops.
0: And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District Northern Illinois meets February 15th at Moore Brewing in Bartlett. District St. Paul Minneapolis meets at Surly February 15th. The Master Brewers Brewery Packaging Technology course begins February 22nd. District Great Plains has their annual meeting February 23rd and 24th at Mark One Electric Company in Kansas City. District Southern California meets at Anheuser-Busch February 24th. District Northern California meets February 25th at Moonlight Brewing in Santa Rosa. District St. Louis meets at Top Golf in Chesterfield February 26th. District New York's shop talk is March 4th at Wild East Brewing in Brooklyn district texas meets virtually march 21st district st louis's march shop talk will be at blue jay brewing march 21st district philly meets march 22nd at workhorse brewing in king of prussia district montreal meets march 27th and nobody wants me to try to pronounce where they're meeting the district st louis spring quarterly meeting is april 8th it's time to save the date for the 2024 world brewing congress that's August 17th through the 20th in Minneapolis. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Now back to the show. Table three focuses on product safety. I'd wager this is an area where small breweries are most frequently dropping the ball. What's critical here?
4: Well, what we did was we broke it up into three sections in the paper, and I want to talk about fail-safe mechanisms because uh, the you know during the normal course of a day running a a filler, whether it's a can filler, bottle filler, you know the filler operators are busy doing all kinds of different tasks associated with. With that operation um, they don't necessarily have the opportunity to keep an eye on what's happening with rinsing and plus rinsers are generally placed somewhere at a location away from the front of the filler Um, so a fail-safe mechanism is really a mechanism that would detect a condition of either a low flow or low pressure or a combination of the two that would um alert you know some uh, plc or control system to shut the the filler down and shut container feed down, because the last thing that we want to do is um, is fill containers and not know if they've been thoroughly rinsed. And so um, fail-safe mechanisms are just basically simple, you know controls that are in place that would allow to alert operators and um, shut down operations if uh, flow to the rinser or if inadequate rinsing conditions are detected.
0: All right, why don't you talk a little bit about some of the, you already mentioned, you know, an automated one that could tie into a PLC, but there's some other sort of, you know, more budget uh, versions of that for those that need it.
4: Yeah, we came across a couple of great options here that we covered in the paper, and one is a pressure cutout switch, and so that can just basically send a simple alarm to operators to say, hey, we lost pressure, um, and, uh, you know, operators can take the necessary Uh, controls in place and and shut down the line if and they if if they have to
0: so that could just be like a big blinking light or something right exactly and it
4: could you know and they could be trained on the fact that that was a low pressure condition and rinsing was compromised and then you could have you know some form of quality procedures to put your arms around whatever that production was and and make sure it doesn't go out the door or you can you can inspect it before you ship it out a couple other options are um, you know, you could actually have hand me- um, recording meters right there at the filler so that the operators can keep an eye on things. But again, in their day to day operations, they're quite busy. Um, and a novel, very cheap um, option that could be considered is um, something called a pressure switch, which or a pointer that would actually record the lowest uh, pressure. Um, recorded during the uh, bottle run so you could make sure that at least during the entire run you met the minimum specification for pressure uh, for your rinser to work properly.
0: That's pretty cool. That was the first time uh, i had ever seen seen one of those before so you also refer to it as a tattletale gauge and it looks like it's not terribly sophisticated and probably not too expensive.
4: That is correct and it's, it is a, an option for people to consider if they can't interface um some form of a pressure gauge into um you know a control system to shut down all right let's talk about rinser validation okay so then also rinser validation uh, what you want to do is you want to understand okay if i do have uh the possibility of inclusions or foreign objects uh, in containers will my rinser effectively remove um the um the the potential hazards and so you want to um, actually come up with procedures to test that. We touch upon, you know, what can be um, used in terms of a seed test where pieces of glass, wood, plastic, insect string, cardboard, um, whatever you think could be potential physical hazards within your brewery could be used to put into containers and see- run them through the rinser and make sure that they are completely devoid of any of these seeded uh, materials during your testing. Um, you want to do this also at, you know, the minimum levels that you think your rinser is going to operate properly. And I want to point out that, let's just say that we would normally run at a 40 PSI um, pressure limit for our rinser, um, but we feel that at around 25 Psi. that's where the container rinsing becomes um, questionable whether or not we can get everything out you really want to validate that you can continue to remove those seeded objects at that lower trip pressure if you perform um, those seed tests at the lower trip pressure and let's just use 25 psi as an example and you have your control system set to trip at uh, at 25 psi then You know that you've got a lot of confidence that you've actually thoroughly rinsed containers. And in the event that you all of a sudden have a loss of flow or pressure uh, to your rinsers, that you're going to be able to capture um, that and not allow the bottle filler to continue to run uh, and fill containers. um, And not knowingly uh, that um, that you fill containers that haven't been properly rinsed.
1: Maybe just a quick comment on validation as a supplier, you know, we see brewers with um, a number of of different um, tests and methods and and some are pretty interesting, especially on higher speed lines. One of those tests is they call it a mouse test and um, we, you know, we have the little cloth mouse, a little cloth mouse that's... uh, that has to be purchased from a certain location and you have to be able to have i think it's like 50 consecutive cloth mice drop out of cans and you know it could be at upwards of a couple thousand cans a minute or at least uh, per lane a thousand cans per minute in each lane so some we see some very interesting validation um tests that that need to be um You know, they need to be confirmed before a rinser can be put into operation.
4: Historically, we've done some challenge testing with plastic flies uh, that you could purchase. So um, that is an option that is uh, the actual, you know, the same size and uh, shape of a house fly.
5: I thought maybe it would be worthwhile to just at least mention at some point, you know, the way the FDA defines you know, physical object adulterating a product and kind of the size range that applies the 7 to 25 millimeter range, just so that when you're thinking about doing your validation and your challenge and seed challenge studies to be really realistic about the types of objects that you're using, um, we oftentimes find that it's a lot harder to remove the small stuff than the big stuff. So sometimes you can get caught up with kind of these you know big wood chips or big balls of, of saran wrap but really try to be really thoughtful about what you choose and that it fits into that range
0: all right eric tell us about verification what does that mean okay so verification procedures
4: are the day-to-day quality checks that you could have your operators um, perform to make sure that everything is working properly um one of the things that should be checked at the beginning of each shift is making sure that the rinser nozzles are actually working properly um, under the proper conditions of whether it's pressure or flow or both um, that you're using to, to control your system. So you want to make sure that all the nozzles are, are, um, they're not, you know, completely fanned out. They're, they're directed properly into the center of the container. Um, and that they're um, that you know that they're not plugged or maybe even the you know the nozzle head has fallen off and you're just getting a stream of water. So a simple test for operators to do at startup is to just validate that with their own with their own eyes. Um, it's important on rotary rinsers uh, that you know they look at every valve or every station on a rotary rinser. So if you have thirty or sixty um, stations that you actually make sure that each one of those stations turn on And um, or or, uh, shoot water up inside the container to make sure that they are functioning properly. Um, There's a couple of other you know checks for verification procedures that um, you would want from your from quality department. Um, Obviously, checking for you know microorganisms and making sure if you're using a sanitizer, making sure that those are uh, at the proper levels. Um, You're also making sure if you do have fail-safe mechanisms. Um, that um, allow the filler to shut down and stop container movement when you lose pressure. That you actually have the operator challenge those and make sure that those are working properly because that's your last defense if you do lose um, some form of, of, of your water supply. Um, and that really, you know, our aim was to reinforce the need that this has to be a, a CCP and a brewery's uh, HACCP program, um, and then some other good practices just r- roughly around. You know, after, um, after the rinser, making sure that post-rinse or shielding is in place, that things are not uprighted or pushed up um, and making sure that, um, you know, that there aren't any potential um, other foreign objects after rinsing that could be inside the filler room, such as glass shards um, up on top of, let's say, covers that could potentially fall into containers. All right, Dave,
0: let's hear about foreign liquid detection systems.
1: What foreign liquid detection is all about is protecting against just that. Foreign liquids that have somehow managed to find their way into containers, you know, from from the time that container leaves uh, the the manufacturing's the manufacturer's uh, warehouse or, or manufacturing manufacturer's site to the time that it ends up at the brewery and actually physically, you know, placed on the line and depalletized and, and those cans are, or bottles are run through production line so there's a there's a whole host of, of ways that different types of liquids oils or or rainwater or you name it can get um, can find their way into a container um, so what this technology does is if if that liquid um, if that liquid is is in the container when the container is inverted and this particular application that's in our our report is mainly for for a straight through can rinser type of operation, not not a rotary but for cans. and there's there's different ways of detecting this. This is just one of an example of that. But uh, the foreign liquid um, will drain out of the container and it and it falls into a trough and it helps to complete a connection, electrical connection. and immediately the the rinser is shut down. So the quicker we can do that, the better. The the goal is to shut the rinser down and stop the can flow before that particular can actually gets through the rinser so it's retrievable. So you can see in the picture that the liquid will fall onto a trough, and then in, in in certain designs, we have the ability to actually collect that liquid. In the picture we show in our report, there's little graduated cylinders that eventually will collect the liquid. So liquid can be then sampled, analyzed, um, and and that information is is very helpful in trying to trace back and find out where did that liquid come from? How did it get into the container? How did it get, you know, from the manufacturer to the to the brewer? And answer a lot of those questions so that you know, hopefully, things can be put in place to, to not have that situation reoccur. So it's a really interesting technology and um, works very well. Obviously, it has to be tested and stressed and validated, just like any of the other systems under research, but. You know, it's 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 a it's a nice piece of technology to help protect brewers.
0: Okay, Eric, you probably want to talk about operations and SOPs, don't you?
4: Okay, I, I just want to reiterate. Um, you know, I've I've had the opportunity in a previous career to audit um, can and bottle lines and come across some interesting situations where, uh, let's say, that there is a line start or stop condition. Um, You can actually observe um, containers that would actually go uh, not rinsed as they continue to um, go through the the rinser and then the filler. Same thing with a startup condition where the line was stopped temporarily. Um, It is sometimes common to find rinsers where the nozzles don't start before container movement um, commences. So I think it's important that, you know, that those are tested out, especially at commissioning a new line and doing any work on control systems that, you know, that people know that, you know, these are opportunities for containers that wouldn't get completely rinsed um, due to start-stop conditions. Uh, It's uh, very important, especially with rotary rinsers, where um, let's say that there is a um, a detection of a low pressure uh, situation on the water supply that um, you can't shut down a rotary rinser immediately so typically what happens is there's some form of a, cont- uh, a gate that'll stop container movement into the rotary rinser um, but if those last few containers are not properly rinsed you better have the right procedures in place to actually discard those containers somehow uh, i've seen some interesting um, practices where uh, the control system would actually purposely underfill containers so that uh, fill level detection devices post filler would be able to reject those containers. So that's that's an option to consider. Um, so it's it's important that I think people are aware that during startups and, and uh, line stop conditions that there are opportunities for containers to not get properly rinsed and these could be at risk of uh, having foreign objects prior to filling. You know, one of the things that we had discussed in the paper, and it was interesting because I think everybody had shared uh, the same concept or the same uh, situations that occur in breweries. Is sometimes uh, there's a big water hog in the, you know, within your brewery that pulls a lot of water away from uh, the rest of the operations. And if you have situations where you know you might be doing something with a, a CIP or something, and you pull a lot, rob a lot of the water and pressure from that. Um, you could end up inadvertently compromising the, the container rinsing because you wouldn't have enough supply pressure, you know, for your rinsers to operate. So you should be cognizant of that and just making sure that um, you're not going to run into, um, you know, a a low flow or a low pressure condition. Um, I'll tell bottle- you an
0: even worse one I had um, back uh, many years ago when I was about to start my first day on the job at Old Dominion Brewing Company. They called me to say they wanted to delay my first day, and I was a little nervous. I was like, "What's going on here? Did they change their mind?" And I was supposed to be doing some work uh, in packaging that day. And it turns out they had uh, been doing a, a water flush on the on the filler, and at the same time, someone in the brew house was doing a big uh, water flush of some kind. And basically, the the pumps on the um, on the bottling line. Uh, pulled that water, you know, all the way back from the brew house. And so they basically uh, filled up their filler bowl full of, you know, hops and all kinds of crud that came out of the uh, uh, the brew house um, from that rinse. Um, so they ended up having to shut the line down and, and rebuild the whole filler. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not even just, obviously a, the solution there was a backflow preventer, but, you know, uh, the water hog issue can be dangerous just beyond not having enough pressure.
3: Yeah, that sounds like an absolute mess.
0: Yeah, you know, and it's funny too, because I, I told him in hindsight, I really wish you guys would have let me come in that day because I probably would have learned a lot rebuilding that filler.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah, those are always the best learning experiences for sure. Anyway, sorry, keep going, Eric. I didn't
4: yeah. mean to hijack it, you. It, no, it's fine. And then also, I just want to point out, um, I've come across situations where um, the auto flush sprays that are engaged during a burst bottle detection uh, event that those auto flush sprays can potentially rob your overall supply pressure for the rinser because they're usually tied into the same lines that go into your your filler area. So uh, be aware of those and make sure that if those are engaged, that your rinser is either operating properly or or you're able to um, avoid a situation where you continue to fill containers and um, your auto flush sprays are robbing supply pressure when filling.
2: One thing that we saw from a water quality issue at the Ritzer before was when they were flushing hydrants in the area and we ended up getting that brown rusty water back through the brewery and uh, that's where we caught it was at the filler rinser.
3: I just wanted to mention one thing I thought was really cool and uh, fairly practical in this is installing, I don't think we talked about it, but installing drains like catch screens for the, the rinser water. And then you could use whatever material you find in there so it's a good idea to audit it on a regular basis and then whatever you find in there use that for your challenge samples because you obviously know that those types of materials are somehow making it into or around your containers. So I thought that was a really cool practical thing that was called out in this paper.
4: Um, I'm just going to touch a little bit on draining properties but uh, especially with can rinsers is just making sure that you have at least three quarter inch clearance. Uh, to make sure because you usually have a a can rail that 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 the can is resting on and you just want to make sure that you're not ending up with you've got an ample um area to allow foreign objects to to drain out instead of being trapped in uh in the can and then it eventually gets uprighted so that's that's a critical call out that i think people have to be aware of
0: all right what points do you want to get across to brewers in regard to in regards to cleaning rinsers?
2: Well, if your rinser's dirty, it's probably not going to be doing a good job of rinsing your bottles because you can blow all that mold or other biofilm that you've got growing on your rinser into the bottle th- just through the rush of air along with the water into the container. I think that's the main thing to take away. As far as how you clean it, Like you need to be looking at it on a regular basis. Um You probably have to remove plexiglass shields to get behind them to be able to clean it properly. If you're doing any uh, rinse water reclaiming, those vessels need to be drained and cleaned uh, to ensure that they aren't starting to fester and grow stuff in there either. An odd one that we came up with once: we have a bottle filler for corking cage that isn't used particularly often, Um, and we had some micro issues on that that we could not nailed down. And we finally turned out it was in the the rinser pipework itself because the filler wasn't designed for the water to drain out uh, when it's not being used. So even though we used some low amounts of parasitic in the water, it had just sat in there and began to mold inside the the rinser pipework itself. So we had to actually run cleaning chemical through the rinser, like as if we were trying to clean bottles with caustic just to get the mold out of the rinser nozzles themselves and then now we keep that drained so that it doesn't start to grow in there
0: anybody else got anything they want to talk about in regards to cleaning
5: if you have a good routine monitoring program for your water quality things like you know at startup maybe maybe doing some atp swabs on the rinse water on a daily basis if you do uh you know, weekly microplating of your water samples, you can use kind of your results on those, you know, microplates to help gauge what kind of frequency you need to get in and do that kind of internal pipe work, CIP, whether it be, you know, every other week or once a month. Um, but having those kind of baselines for what your your micro load is on that water on a routine basis can be really helpful to decide what those cleaning schedules should look like.
3: I would just say, I would just say you never know how well your rinse is working until you actually test it. Fair enough. So if you haven't done it, that was a, that was a better time than ever.
0: Stop walking by that thing and look at it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That was Heather Muzzy Karen, Eric Samp, Ben Bailey, Tim Lozen, and Dave Duff here on the Master Brewers Podcast. Definitely check out their Best Practices document, which you can find by typing Rinser into the industry's best search bar at mbaa.com. We will, of course, also add a link in the show notes, along with information about Master Brewers Communities of Practice, or COPs, and a link to view or join the container quality COP from which this paper was born. Of oh. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Proximity Malt, BSG, Precision Fermentation, and the Lupulin Exchange. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support.